listeners, and welcome to the 29th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm Devlin Riggs, and the dumpster is gone. So is the ancient red velvet sofa uh, filled with memories and uh, formerly filled with fleas. Yes, uh, having pets is just just such a joy sometimes. Uh, but so just when it seemed like life was getting back to normal, my wife noticed a suspicious whine coming from her 33,000-mile Ford Fusion Energy, which prompted a dealership visit, which was uh, needed actually for another unrelated recall. Uh, the dealership uh, discovered a transmission bearing issue that means she's in a rented Ford Focus hatchback this week which she immediately proceeded to compare to my car, obviously, and mercilessly bash. And rightfully so. This this new Focus is equipped with a lot of the same standard features as her old 2003 Honda Civic. And while, yes, this Focus is a rental car, it's kind of hard to believe that base model cars have progressed so little in the past 14 years. Meanwhile, uh, she struggles with warranty repairs. I'm struggling with the lovely folks at Liberty Mutual, whose repair shop poorly repaired damage sustained to my car when I vaporized a coyote driving home from Chicago last year. Um, The resulting rattle from the damage has been driving me nuts for more than a year now, and the good folks at the insurance company don't seem to be able to find a way in their own systems to get me set up with a new shop to get the car repaired the right way. Uh, Perhaps predictably, the shop that did the repairs the first time is no longer one of Liberty Mutual's guaranteed repair partners. Meanwhile, uh, I am scouring the internet for a good deal on the FX50 because I have no common sense. Uh, But you didn't come here for stories about cars. Uh, Wait, no, you did. Yeah, you definitely did. Uh, Here they are. Our top story this week. Uh, When Dodge debuted The Demon earlier this year, they hosted a private event for journalists and industry people in Hell's Kitchen in New York. They put on a great show with fire and burnouts and a demonstration of the car's insane acceleration, all inside, all on a stage, in a venue where I wasn't invited to. Anyway, uh, this happened just before the New York Auto Show, uh, where the public could come see it for the first time. Similarly, when Jaguar debuted their new E-Pace crossover with a crazy record-setting barrel roll, they did it at the Excel Center in London, Also, not during an auto show. And this is part of a trend that's picking up steam recently as automakers decide to either skip out on or cool it with the gimmicks at major auto shows. Next month is the International Motor Show in Frankfurt, Germany, which is normally a pretty big deal, though obviously not as big as Geneva or Paris, but we typically see a few debuts there every year. We've learned, though, this week that nine major brands have decided to completely forego the Frankfurt Auto Show, uh, which is going to mean a lot of empty floor space to fill. And these makers represent about 20% of the sales in Europe, so it's not like they're obscure ones. We're talking about Alfa Romeo, Nissan, Fiat, Infiniti, Peugeot, and even Volvo are skipping this show, just to name a few of the nine. 
Ultimately, brands are deciding that the incredible investment uh, in both time and money isn't worth it to go to these auto shows when their consumers do most of their research online nowadays anyway. That's where most of us, myself included, learn about and see these cars for the first time. And debuts are always during press days at car shows anyway, so you're reading about a car days before the shows are open to the public and actually you can go see them in the flesh. Auto shows are increasingly taking part in, uh, or automakers are increasingly taking part in other trade shows like the Consumer Electronics Show, where they can focus on their technological advancements and bring fewer cars, but still have a big impact and generate some good press. Uh, if they have a big splash to make, um, they're making it like Dodge and Jaguar and hosting their own events where they can control everything from who's invited to what the stage looks like to what actually happens. While it's a lot more expensive to host your own event than it is to just drop a curtain in the middle of a crowded trade center, you don't get to do things like a barrel roll at the Detroit Auto Show. And when you run your own event, you're not competing with other brands for attention at the booth next door because this event is all about you. It gives brands a chance to do something special and memorable and wow potential buyers, even if they aren't in attendance. Because at auto shows, for these debuts, they wouldn't be anyway. And that's your top story this week. Here are some quick hits. Chinese companies are under pressure to expand abroad, and the easiest way to do so would be to purchase an existing automaker operating outside the country. The most attractive company so far has been the one with the least attractive cars, at least in terms of quality and reliability. I'm of course talking about Fiat Chrysler, whose CEO Sergio Marchione has been trying desperately for anyone to buy his company, only to be met by 10-foot poles being extended to push him away. Such a merger would make sense in terms of efficiencies and cost-cutting and economies of scale, but poses a huge problem for politi—excuse me, huge problem for politicians, especially high-ranking ones in the U.S. who have already railed against China for taking U.S. jobs. Imagine if they started taking U.S. businesses too. Truly deplorable. In terms of car models, it's fairly standard to go five to six years before a new generation of a vehicle is announced, which. Uh, allows companies a nice long time to design, develop, engineer, and produce a fully functional car and to get it to market right as interest in the old model starts fading quickly. In recent years, digital design and testing has whittled that process down to, in some cases, as little as three years, but for Hyundai, that simply isn't good enough. This week, Senior Vice President of Design at Hyundai and Genesis, Luke Donkervolke, told Automotive News that he wants his companies to take cars from drawings to driveways in just 18 months. This Herculean task, he says, will be accomplished by a new design center and more than 400 dedicated people working most probably on a time machine to make the testing and engineering for such a feat possible. Either that, or they're just going to be slapping a new face on the same underlying car every year and a half for six years while engineering works on an actually new car. In the market for a relatively low-mileage vehicle that has been absolutely beaten to shit by a bunch of amateur jerks who have enough money to attend one of the best racing schools in the country... 
Well, you're in luck, because starting August 29th, the Skip Barber Racing School will be liquidating its assets via auction in Brasselton, Georgia. There will be hundreds of vehicles for sale, as well as trailers, trucks, and even open-wheel race cars, not to mention the various spare parts for all of the cars used. Sales of the cars and other materials will go to pay off the company's debts to, among other people, Skip Barber himself, who hasn't owned the racing school for some time, but owns Lime Rock Park, a track where the school rented space. While I can't imagine these cars being a good investment, given how they have lived their lives so far, I also thought the same thing about Matthew McConaughey, and he's really turned things around, so there you go. Maybe these cars will be, uh, all right, all right, all right. Normally, when class action lawsuits are settled, the only real winners are the attorneys who fought the case because they make a ridiculous amount of money, while the actual victims get virtually nothing. In a recent class action case against Porsche, though, owners of cars bought between 2007 and 2016, equipped with light-colored dashboards, are getting an actual reward for their settlement. That reward? Some sweet, sweet shades. That's right, Porsche is being made to pay for sunglasses for its buyers because of the glare caused by their bright dashboards. If this sounds familiar, it's because the Chevy Bolt's light dashboard is creating the same exact problem for drivers. In reaction to the lawsuit, Chevy was uncharacteristically happy, stating, See? See? I told you it was like a Porsche! If you're looking for a race car with slightly more heritage, uh, that's slightly more rare and slightly more expensive than the Skip Barber race cars, might I interest you in the only remaining Ford GT40 Roadster? Uh, one of s only six ever produced. It's the only remaining copy that wasn't either disassembled or turned into a hardtop and has never been raced, only paraded around and put on display as an example of how everything used to be better than it is right now. While you can probably get some Mustangs, Miatas, and Porsches from Skip, Skip Barber's school for somewhere in the five, four, five figure range, I wouldn't expect the GT40 Roadster to go for anything less than a few million, which is fine. It, it, it's fine, because who who doesn't have that, that type of money these days? I, I'm, I'm not crying. You're crying. Uh, speaking of crying, uh, last week I reported that Faraday Future was looking to raise a billion dollars to support its definitely totally real car, the FF91, while Tesla one-upped their competitor, stating a goal of raising $1.5 billion. Well, in the past six days, Tesla has raised $1.8 billion through the sale of bonds with a decent return. Just like that, the Model 3 got way easier to build, and Tesla is once again flushed with cash. Uh, in related news, I'm looking to raise $2 billion, uh, not for anything in particular, just because it seems super easy to do. Perfect for an age when pedestrians spend their time crossing the street while looking at their phones instead of looking to see if they're about to be run over, Google's Waymo has recently received a patent for technology that softens a car's panels when it senses a pedestrian strike. We have literally no indication of how this system could work or if it would still be safe to crash into other cars. Uh, I'm not sure how you get a patent granted without providing details on how a technology works. But I guess I should get in touch with the patent office because I have this great idea for a bus that straddles cars. Uh, that's a callback to a couple weeks ago. Um, it's perhaps surprising that 
more car companies aren't doing some sort of eclipse gimmick, given that uh, large swaths of the U.S. will see a total solar eclipse on Monday, but those crazy Swedes at Volvo have come through. They've made a magnetic solar filter that fits exactly over the sunroof of their XC60 crossover, and some dealerships in the states witnessing the solar eclipse will host watch parties where five lucky, I guess lucky, people will be able to uh, watch the eclipse from the inside of a compact luxury crossover from Sweden. Uh, while five vehicles or five people per dealership doesn't sound like a lot, you're correct. It it's not just. Just go watch the eclipse outside like the rest of us normal people. Last week, we learned that Jeremy Clarkson caught pneumonia while on vacation in Mallorca and had to be hospitalized. I didn't report on it because Richard Hammond's miraculous escape from a fiery death seemed so much more severe, and I don't think any one of us want to live in a world where we have to imagine James May as the only functioning Grand Tour host. But apparently Clarkson's condition was quite serious, and he could have died after having wild spasms for several nights if he had not sought medical attention. Much to the joy of fans and much to the dismay of production assistants, Clarkson has recovered and lives to film and punch another day. Speaking of almost dying, a couple in Florida were returning from grilling in the park on Sunday afternoon when the wife decided to light up a cigarette and enjoy a day well spent. Uh, unfortunately for her, the propane in the gas grill in the back of their Kia Sorento was left on and had been filling the car with gas during their journey, all of which ignited when she attempted to light up. The cigarette was lit, as was just about everything else, in an explosion that activated all of the airbags, literally blew the roof off the car, and popped the windshield off the front of it. The couple escaped with burns that are not life-threatening and a renewed love of charcoal. Here are some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless it's brand new. You might see me in my well with my head. Weren't expecting that, were you guys? Uh, if you don't know the name Ken Okuyama, you certainly know his work. For a long time, he led the design uh, team at Pininfarina, the Italian design firm uh, famous for their Coca-Cola freestyle vending machines, and, uh, oh yeah, the Ferrari Enzo and scores of other amazing vehicles. Uh, Okuyama has gone back to his roots, though, opening his own design firm in Japan, and their first work last year uh, was called Code 57, a supercar that debuted at the Pebble Beach Concours d'Elegance. And this year, that car will be joined by a new one-off uh, car called the Code Zero. Uh, while we don't know much about the car other than that it looks like a mix between a Lamborghini and a, a Lotus Esprit, it has a really nice wedge shape with what what I would call some very interesting grills on the, on the front and side. It sort of looks like a 90s concept car, honestly, and I grew up loving those th sort of things, so perhaps that's why I really like the look of this. It's apparently powered by a V12 of questionable origin and questionable output, but uh, we'll know more once it debuts tomorrow, Friday. Uh, young millennial listeners may be unaware, but Infinity actually began as a brand in 1989, but their young age hasn't stopped the company designers from drawing inspiration from the 1940s for a delightful new concept car uh, called the Prototype 9. The car uses modern technology... Uh, 
and styling cues from Modern Infinities. It's designed using what we think will be the electric motor from the forthcoming second-generation Nissan LEAF, meaning a 236-horsepower motor with a top speed of 105 miles an hour, but a 0-60 to 60 time of just 5.5 seconds. Uh, this car, it'll never see production and probably won't ever be built other than on a uh, computer um, and this one model that they've made. But it's nice that Infinity is letting their designers off the chain a little bit to come up with something new and interesting. Uh, who knows what will come from this car and actually make it into future actual production vehicles. Probably nothing, but still, maybe something. Uh, in less pretty but more realistic news, a California company called Change, which is spelled like change, but with a G instead of a, or a J instead of a G because it's from California, uh, has announced a new electric car. Uh, well, it's a truck, and actually it's a van, uh, an electric van, but stay with me. The, the former Tesla folk who work at Change have uh, spied a need for a medium-range delivery vehicle, uh, which is an area that electric fans, vans can fill nicely. So while this isn't for you and me, obviously, uh, it will likely sell well and play a nice role in offering a cleaner alternative to receiving your FedEx packages during the holiday season. They'll only travel about 100 miles on a charge, but that's generally enough for these vehicles' typical 70-mile average daily trips. Uh, they're also planning a range of other sized vans as well as passenger shuttles, so be on the lookout for a change at the airport soon. Hey, you're a great crowd. Thank you. Thank you and thank you. Hey, waka waka. Ah, waka waka waka. If you love the Ford Raptor but can't justify spending at least 60 grand on a truck because you don't regularly race across deserts professionally, you'll be happy to know that Ford has caught testing what looks an awful lot like a Ranger Raptor this week. Uh, while the Ranger is not currently for sale in the U.S., the model does exist outside the country and is slated to be released in the States alongside a new Bronco next year. While those trucks in themselves are compelling to buyers who want the nostalgia of a Bronco or want to run the, from the police, and the practicality of a mid-sized truck, making them uh, capable Baja racers or weekend mud machines is absolutely turning the hype dial up to 11. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned, and let's see if I can get through this, the Aston Martin Vanquish Zagato Speedster. Um, a ridiculously beautiful 580 horsepower V12 coupe with a fixed drop top destined for 28 luxury covered garages at some point in the future. Um, it is, of course, sold out, as is the Volante convertibles on which they are based. But Aston Martin have just announced an even awesomer version of the Vanquish Zagato, uh, which they will be making 99 of, and that is the Vanquish Zagato shooting brake a two-seater wagon with a long roof and plenty of ridiculously practical storage space and as you would expect from an aston martin long roof the images we have seen just look uh, in my pants. and it even has the double bubble in the long sloping roof and just, uh, just it'll be available next year
Uh, coming back down to Earth now, uh, images of BMW's Concept Z4 leaked today ahead of its launch at the Concours d'Elegance this weekend. And, well, it it looks positively stunning. Uh, there's a lot of F-type to this car, which is a great thing. Uh, but with a sort of flame surfacing and sharp shark-like styling of the previous generation Z4, and of course the familiar familiar kidney grills prominently up front. With the long sloping hood and a short trunk and tiny overhangs, this car has the classic and beautiful proportions of a Grand Tourer or sports roadster. Uh, but what I'm doing with this car, though, is is looking at it and seeing through it, and seeing what I think will be in the upcoming Toyota Supra, since we know that this is going to be based on the same platform as the next Z4, which we're looking at. I gotta tell you, I really, really like what we're seeing, and I cannot wait to see Toyota's take on this. If it's anything close to BMW's, and anything remotely realistic price-wise, it's gonna be seriously, seriously tempting. Um... I can't think of a car company more tied to a single movie series than DeLorean, whose DMC-12 transported Marty and Doc, along with audiences around the world throughout time, in some of the objectively best movies ever. Uh, there have been long rumors of a DeLorean comeback uh, as an electric car or something completely new, but now we're seeing some actual traction from John DeLorean's nephew, Paul, who started DeLorean Aerospace in 2012. And as the company name suggests, this is no normal car. Paul and his company have designed a flying car with two large swiveling fans and large wings in front of and behind the driver, or as they should probably be called, pilot. Right now, there have been two scale models produced uh, to show proof of concept, and the company is hoping to have a full-scale radio-controlled version of its DR7 aircraft within another year or so. Uh, it's slated to be all electric with a range of about 120 miles, uh, which would be more than enough for my commute. Uh, the only real question is how often it's permitted to say, Roads? Well, we're going, we don't need roads. In obituaries this week, the moto enthusiast community lost a member uh, this weekend when Joy Harris was killed attempting a stunt on the set of Deadpool 2. Uh, nicknamed SJ, Harris was the first black woman to have competed in a sanctioned motorcycle racing event and was filming her first movie as a stunt performer, riding a motorcycle through a first floor glass window for the upcoming movie. Uh, she had been into motorcycles since her youth and received her racing license in 2013. She raced in the American Sport Bike Racing Association and Championship Cup Series, uh, according to her website, and acted as a real pioneer in both events. SJ was clearly no stranger to taking risks and, and just being a very daring person, and uh, she'll definitely be missed uh, throughout the racing and motorcycle communities. Um, this week, I wanted to take a little while and uh, do a deep dive into Mazda's new big push for petrol engines. So here you go. Dive, dive. Uh, 
In the parking garage downtown where I park for work every day, uh, there are seven levels that never fill up unless there's a Cardinals day game. If I get to work late because of a morning appointment or I'm feeling a bit guilty for skipping my gym nights, which is an increasingly frequent occurrence, I'll park in a spot on the fifth floor across from the elevators. Uh, there's nothing especially notable about the parking on floor five other than the fact that oftentimes there's a brand new blue Chevy Volt that parks right next to me. Every day when I walk back to my car parked on five, I have to step over the charging cable stretched from the single solitary outlet on that floor of the garage to the port in the side of the plug-in range-extended hybrid electric vehicle. Um, again, there's nothing super special about someone doing their best to fleece the city of St. Louis out of a few kilowatt hours until I met the guy one day and offhandly remarked, smart, and pointed at the cord plugged in. Uh, he responded, ha, thanks, I wanted to plug it in, but I live in Tower Grove and don't have a garage, so here's the only place where I can plug it in. And, and Volt guy here, he's not alone. Electric vehicles are most likely to appeal to those living in major metropolitan areas where they don't have to go that far, where range anxiety isn't an issue. And those are the, precisely the same people least likely to have parking in a garage, much less charging facilities of their own, making ownership of an environmentally friendly and fuel-efficient electric vehicle something of a pipe dream, unless you're as crafty as, as Volt guy here. I've mentioned recently that we have a long way to go before electric vehicles are reasonable replacements for petrol cars, and range, vehicle cost, and power are certainly valid reasons ruling out many current vehicles on offer from various manufacturers. But infrastructure is another major contributor to the perpetuation of gasoline-powered cars over electric alternatives. You can sit a gas-powered internal combustion car in that amazing spot in Brooklyn for a couple weeks and not have to worry about it losing a charge or having to snake an extension cord out of your brownstone at least eight hours prior to going anywhere, and then having to worry about the cord, which is expensive, getting stolen or broken since those ports are often located on the street side of vehicles that are parallel parked. So when Mazda executives stand up in front of industry groups and proclaim how impractical and irresponsible electric cars are when there's still innovation going on with internal combustion, you can't completely discount them as Neanderthals. Sure, we're probably going to get an electric future eventually, but what's the hurry? Thing is, when you come out throwing haymakers at the newest and most crush-worthy technology, you better be backing it up with some important breakthroughs of your own. And fortunately, Mazda has put its money where its gas-slurping mouth is. In the company's ridiculously named Zoom Zoom 2030 initiative, the major focus is being put on newly developed gasoline engines that produce diesel-like fuel economy, but without the notorious diesel pollution. The new Skyactiv-X engines will use homogeneous charge compression ignition, also called HCCI, or high compression ignition, in place of traditional spark plugs, and this results in 20-30% to 30 greater efficiency and also greater torque than current Skyactiv-G engines, while keeping at least the same horsepower output and sometimes creating more. Mazda skipped the downsize and turbocharge trend that Ford embraced with their EcoBoost engines because their focus has always been on high compression, and combining high compression with turbocharging rarely ends up well for anyone. Instead, to add power to future performance models, they'll look at supercharging, which provides a more linear torque and power curve, 
and produces less engine heat while providing a more manageable boost level than turbocharging. Mazda has also announced this week a partnership with Toyota, wherein the two companies will share electric vehicle, connected car, and infotainment technologies. Mazda is clearly much further behind in, uh, in these regards than Toyota, who has been offering a hybrid for almost 20 years. So Mazda clearly stands to gain the most from this new relationship. Toyota is also on the brink of releasing a revolutionary solid-state battery, and if shared with Mazda, it could allow them to skip several developmental stages and help the company bring to market the modern, electric-only vehicles that the public desperately wants to see. But what the public wants to see and what the public wants to buy are different things, and without the infrastructure to support widespread EV adoption, Mazda's continued focus on gasoline engines makes sense, at least in the short to medium term. For us enthusiasts, it's also promising to hear that the company is continuing their efforts to make driving engaging and fun, while many other manufacturers are shifting to get the wheel out of the hands of drivers as soon as possible. So while Tesla's out there getting the handshakes and the high fives for bringing electric vehicles to the people, Mazda's do some recognition of its own for cracking a seriously tough engineering challenge and for bringing greater efficiency to cars that you will probably see more people driving for years to come. For last week's call to action, I asked everyone to send me an email with feedback on the podcast, and I'm delighted to say that I, I, I got no emails at all, which means you guys are all super happy with the content, or none of you are listening, and I'm going to believe that it's the former. To that point this week, I, I want you all to try to find the good in other people. Uh, this week has been an especially uh, tough week uh, with hatred on both, but primarily one side of a major clash in Charlottesville. Uh, I acknowledge that there's hate on both sides. The thing is, it's okay to hate Nazis because they are just bad people. In any case, let's go out there and find the good in other people and try to heal wounds and build bridges of understanding that help us move forward as, as what we are, as a single human people trying to thrive in a challenging world. And with that, I'll, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, shout out to a new subscriber and listener and colleague, Jordan. And thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. I'll leave you today with the reason that I have been relentlessly Googling FX50s. Have a great weekend, enjoy the eclipse on Monday, and we will see you back here next week. Here, friends, is your moment of zen.